0: Hey there, Ask Welcome to another episode of the show. And if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas week. We are here, the week of Christmas, and I'm sure that you are busy running around and maybe spending some quality time with your family, whatever you are doing. I hope you are well, and I hope you are gearing up for this new year. As always, I am so incredibly grateful that you are here. If you're brand new to the podcast, you have stumbled onto a recovery episode. Maybe someone sent you this episode and maybe you didn't stumble onto it. But if you are new, I know I have a lot of new listeners lately. Welcome. And what I'm doing for the months of December and January is rolling out 10 extra podcast episodes that are all about recovery. I have a quote unquote regular podcast. Those episodes come out every Wednesday where I talk about just personal development in general. And every Tuesday in December and January, I'm sending out a conversation that I am having with a woman in recovery. I personally have six years of sobriety from alcohol, but before that, I was a severe codependent. I was also a love addict, and I sort of danced in and out of an eating disorder all throughout my 20s. And so when I hear from those things. Interestingly enough, probably right after the birth of both of my children, my own drinking picked up a lot. I decided to get sober in 2011. And here I am six plus years later, having these amazing conversations with women where we tell our stories about recovery and what our drinking stories were like and how we now stay sober. I hope you are enjoying them. I love having these conversations. I'm so incredibly honored to be able to share these brave stories with you. I get a lot of really great feedback from them, so thank you for listening. The guest I have for you today, Tiffany, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her in just a minute. This is her second appearance on Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. The last time she was here, we were talking about just again, personal development in general, but this time she is sharing her recovery story. I'm so excited for you to meet her again. If you heard her very first episode, I'm going to drop the link in the show notes to the other episode that she was on, because I'm sure that you are going to enjoy her as much as I did. One quick announcement. Do you guys know what I'm going to talk about? (laughs) My book is I think it's shipping this week if it hasn't shipped already. It's finally here. The thing with traditional publishing is that it's such a long time coming. I started writing this book in the beginning of 2016, I think, and it you know took me all year to write it and then it takes a little while to actually it's just a lot. There's a lot of moving parts, the editing and the cover and all of these things that are involved in traditional publishing. And it's finally here. So it's such an event for an author and for the publishing team and everyone who's involved, my team over here at Your Kick-Ass Life, the people over at Hatchet Books and Seal Press, they have all worked so hard. It's amazing how much work, it's like a movie, I guess, like amazing how much work and how many people are behind a project like this. I'm so incredibly proud. Of it. It's called How to Stop Feeling Like Shit 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. And in a nutshell, it's the 14 behaviors that we as women typically do. We think these behaviors are protecting us. So it's perfectionism, numbing out, isolating and hiding, self sabotage, people pleasing and approval seeking, overachieving, control just to name a few. Um, Again, there's 14 of them. And over the last decade, I have been a coach and a mentor to women. I've noticed this pattern in myself too, (laughs) over and over again, these same patterns. And there's actually a saying in recovery that says it works until it doesn't. And I think that we do these behaviors because they work for a time being. We wouldn't keep overachieving if it didn't work. We wouldn't keep leaning into perfectionism if it didn't help us in some way, right? But then we get to a point where it starts to feel like shit because these behaviors don't line up with our values. Oh my gosh. And so I could go on and on, but most of you know what the book is about. Some of you have read it if you got a advanced copy. And this book is also full of solution. I also have a free book study because I don't want you to just read this book and consume the information. So much more than that. If you are ready to commit to make these changes in your life, to actually strive for feeling better, feeling more confident, doing things that are in alignment with your values, having better relationships, having brave conversations, then I invite you to take part in this free book study that I'm hosting. It starts on January 22nd. All you need to do is order my book. Peranto, por favor. How do you like my Spanish? And then you just go to yourkickasslife.com slash HTSFLS. That link is in the show notes. And you can click on claim bonuses and sign up for the class. It's totally free. All you need to do is have a copy of my book. Audiobook works, Kindle, print, copy, whatever you prefer to consume the book. That's all you need. That is the price of admission for this four-week book study that I am taking you through. I am guiding you through that. I will be there to support you. I always create an amazing community of women, so I am inviting you to join us for that. Link is in the show notes. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Let me first tell you a little bit about Tiffany Hahn. Tiffany Hahn is a writer, speaker, teacher, and coach whose work focuses on using the intersection of creativity and spirituality to help women design, build, and maintain the businesses of their dreams. She's the host of two podcasts, Raise Your Hand, Say Yes, and How to Be Remarkable, and is on a mission to build an army of highly creative women who are ready to be leaders in this world and prove what's possible when we collectively raise our hands and our voices and say yes to going all in on our dreams. So without further ado, here is Tiffany. Hey, Tiffany, welcome back to the show. Andrea, thank you so much for having me.
2: I love being here.
0: I love having you and you have been on the show before on the kind of regular edition of the podcast. And we will throw that link in the show notes for anybody that, that wants to go back and hear that. But this, of course, is the recovery series. And we are talking about the more specific topic of addiction and drinking and sobriety and recovery and, and all of those things kind of mushed into one. And so I always like to start my guests by asking him the question of, please tell us your story. And when did you know it was time for you to quit drinking? Mm-hmm.
2: I think I always knew in the back of my mind that it was time to quit drinking. And yet... <laughs> I had sort of built my entire life around drinking. It was my thing. You know, it was like even for my business, it was part of my brand, like the champagne. And it was so Mm -hmm. fun. And I was kind of a party girl. And a a few things kind of converged. So last fall, the weekend after the election, which was a a time when I was drinking heavily, Mm -hmm. I went to a meditation retreat and it was a retreat that my friend runs called shift that I knew as soon as I signed up for it, I knew I had this like kind of instinctive knowing like this is going to make me stop drinking. And I've done a lot of personal development work, right? Like you and I run in the same circles. You don't go through coach training or have a business without doing personal development work. So I was very aware of a lot of things and I had done a lot of things to make positive changes in my life, but I still drank and Although it wasn't like problem drinking. So we'll get to that. So I went to that retreat, got all this kind of new knowing and had some hits that like it was time to stop drinking. Around that same time, my husband turned 49 and he decided to quit drinking for a year to so that he would be like as healthy as possible when he turned fifty, because he has like an incredibly healthy relationship with alcohol. and mm-hmm. that it's an <laughs> so issue he wasn't he
1: just
0: was doing it just to like cut something that he felt was unhealthy out of his life. It wasn't like he thought he had a problem. Exactly, okay. yeah. like he would drink like a beer once every two weeks. So it'd be like somebody else like quitting coffee or something.
2: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it would not be like me quitting coffee, but it would be like a thing, right? <laughs> so. He
0: was not drinking. And
2: so then I became like very aware of how much I was drinking and not even how much, but more like the frequency. So I always would say too that, like, I didn't drink much, but I drank as much as my life would allow. I have three year old twins, so I wasn't like getting wasted every night, but I would drink two glasses of wine as often as I could. Right. Like I enjoyed drinking and I always kind of would drink as much. And and you said in your recovery series, you described like. Really looking forward to the holiday party. Yeah. Where you had like an excuse to just like balls to the wall drink. Yes. I started listening to your recovery series when it came out and that Andrea, thank you, was such a huge turning point for me because I had never listened to other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that with our society, like we have people either have like a capital P problem or else you're fine. Why would you make a change? And I definitely did not have a capital P problem. Mm -hmm. But what I recognized was like the stories that I was hearing you talk about and your guests talk about. I was like, oh, fuck, like that's me 10 years from now if I don't quit. Yeah. Yeah. Which was scary and like weirdly so familiar like you I think it was you who talked about like right before your husband would come home you would like fill up the glass of wine like as full as you could make it no I would actually chug it
0: from the bottle
1: (laughs) 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 and then put it in the fridge
0: Because I didn't want him to know that I had drank before he got home because he got home at like five and then I would, that was my thing. Like I would drink a couple glasses before he even got home. This was like when Oprah still had her show at four. So I would do that. And then when he Mm -hmm. got home, I would wait like a half hour, 45 minutes and then pull out a clean glass and act like I was just starting to drink for the evening.
2: Yeah. And I could see, like, I was like, oh yeah, it really, really hit home. And I think that I had the realization like, okay, this is going to affect Everything in my life that I've worked so hard to build if it keeps going down this path. And then I i, remember, I think it was January 4th, I was timid fallen asleep on the couch, as one does when they have two three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And I was like on the computer and I checked my email and I got like kind of an uncomfortable, like an email that was like, oh, now I have to deal with this thing. And I was drinking wine. I poured myself another glass of wine. And then I ended up like on Pinterest until midnight. Mm hmm. And it was for me, it was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Like none of this. And I I say this, like waving my hand over the whole scene, like none of this is serving me. Right. And I went to bed, I woke up, I felt like shit. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to, what I decided was like, I'm going to quit drinking for a year and just see what happens and see how I feel. But like, I knew for me it needed to be all or nothing for a long period of
0: time. Yeah. I'm going to stop you for a second because I have a question yeah. about that. And I, yeah. I do want you to continue, but I'm really curious about this. Were you, because it's clear, and this is sort of the theme with all the stories that I talked to women on this, on this recovery series is that, you know, they heard that, they heard that voice like of this, th- this isn't working for me. I probably need to quit. This is the retreat I'm going to go to. This is probably going to make me stop drinking. Were you kind of like, what were your feelings and emotions around hearing that voice? Like, were you resistant? Were you irritated? Were you mad? curious. I mean, I think that I was kind of resigned to it
2: Uh. of like, all right. But also it was, you know, all of the stories that go along with why we drink and why drinking is so socially acceptable. Those were kind of pushing against that knowing. So there was like, yeah, okay. I, do you understand that like alcohol is not serving me? And then it was like, but it makes your food taste better. (laughs) Right. Or like, but then what are you going to do at a party? But you have a wedding, but like all of the things like, but you don't have a problem, but it's so fun. Right. Like all of those stories came in and I didn't know how to combat them until I found like your recovery podcast. And then I started listening to other people's stories because I always viewed my whole life. I always viewed not drinking as a punishment. Yes. Like I would, you know, guilt and shame or you drank too much and then you're in trouble. Which there were many times in my life where that happened and you feel awful, like you physically feel awful, but you also feel like a horrible person because you did this thing. And so I I couldn't quite reconcile, like, do I quit drinking before I get to that place? Right. <sighs> Like, yeah. before I get to the place of my life completely falling apart. And it was sort of like, like I had already made the rule for myself back in November, like, okay, you're not allowed to drink until after the kids go to bed because, you know, kids require patience. Yeah, um, and, well. Yes. And what I found is that I would come home from like, come home. I work in my backyard. When I would come inside from work, pour myself a glass of wine and be trying to like feed them dinner and get them bathes and all of that. And I would be so short tempered. Yeah. I knew it was a wine. I knew it, but I didn't want to know it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so... I think part of it was just confusion. Like I was like, I feel like I know I want to quit, but everything in my life is telling me that it's fine. Everything's fine. You're doing great. You deserve this. Yes. Right. It's, it's sort of like until you're able to pull yourself out of it, it's all just all the noises coming at you. And so it's easier, right? Because you're numbing. Mm-hmm. It's easier mm-hmm. to just have a glass of wine. Shut it out. Yeah. I also realized after I quit that I've been dealing with like low grade anxiety, I think my entire life, which Mm -hmm. was such a huge aha moment for me of like, Oh, that's why I drank. And that's why I started drinking when I did. And that's why I always thought I needed alcohol in my life was to help me deal with these things and the numbing and, and all of that. So, so I quit January 4th, committed for a year to quit And like, again, I knew I just didn't want to be like, I'm never, never drinking again because that felt insane to me. But I quit January 4th and like two weeks in, Andrea, I knew I was, I felt so much better. I was sleeping all night long. I woke up happy. Mm -hmm. Like I just woke up and felt happy. And so, and then, and by that point I had started you know, listening to more recovery podcasts, doing more research, talking to people, having conversations. And at that point I knew like, I can never drink again. And it was something, I can't remember if I heard it on your podcast or on the home podcast, but someone was talking about when they drank that they were always thinking about drinking and that kind of conversation that goes on in your head of like, okay, if I finish this glass of wine, can I order another one before yeah. the entree? So, I've said I that
0: before that, yeah. that was, yeah, that to me was because I know that – and I talk to a lot of women who have what we call a high bottom, and that's that's mm-hmm. what you have too. Like, yeah. We don't have these stories of being arrested and having DUIs and losing everything and uh, these dramatic stories. And so which keeps us drinking because we think like that is what it takes to get sober. And those are people that have the capital P problem. And what I have seen in my experience – and I've talked to a lot of people like – For me, the problem wasn't the consequences that were happening from my drinking. It was the mind fuck. It was that constant obsessing on alcohol. And and this doesn't happen to everyone. So I don't want people listening to think like, because some people, it is the consequences of their drinking Mm -hmm. and they don't really, because, and that's what, you know, I think in, in the rooms, they call that like the problem drinker versus the alcoholic, which, whatever, it doesn't matter <laughs> whether it's the actual drinking that's causing problems or it's the mind stuff that's going on that's causing problems, either one or both. For some people, it's both, but that was awful. Like if I wasn't drinking, I was, I was, here's how I describe it. If I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking or thinking about my feelings around drinking or not drinking. Basically, I was consumed yep. by it. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even realize it until you don't have it. It sucks.
2: Right. It's yeah. like when you live by the freeway and then you go somewhere quiet and you're like, oh, this is what
0: quiet is. This is what quiet is. Yeah. Yeah. Although for some and, people in who are new in sobriety, there does come that obsession of not drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me not drinking. Here I am over here not drinking. Here I am at the grocery <laughs> store not buying wine. Here yeah. I am at this party not drinking. <laughs> when I quit smoking cigarettes a
2: long time ago. that was what I realized about quitting smoking was how much time I spent not smoking mm-hmm. because it was something that I did like throughout my day, right? You're not like waking up in the morning and having a glass of wine with, with your coffee. I mean, maybe, but I wasn't, but like when I smoke cigarettes, like it was such a life habit mm-hmm. that that became very aware. And I also think for me, like My, you know, I've got two young kids. I'm not extremely social right now in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like as easy as possible for me to quit drinking because my husband wasn't drinking. My life was a lot easier without
0: alcohol. Dealing with that like five o'clock hour was hard, though. The witching hour. Yeah. 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 I got sober um, when my kids were toddlers too. And I think that was like the universe's joke on me because right? I did not enjoy toddlerhood. I have no shame in saying this. Toddlerhood has not been my favorite phase of being a mother. And that was no joke. They were two and four, mine were. Mm-hmm. It was rough.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah, it was rough, but also, right. Don't you look back on that now and you're like, probably part of it was because I was drinking, but it was so rough.
0: Yeah. I, well, yeah. and no, I mean, it was rough, like getting sober, like those oh, yeah. first, it, I think it's rough all around, whether you're sober <laughs> or not sober. Yeah. And it was, there was also other stuff going on. That was for me, without getting too much into it, and I don't know if this happened to you. I don't know if this happens to everybody, but when I got sober in 2011, I had been numbing out pretty much since I was a teenager with various things. For me, it started with codependence and love addiction and and my drinking started, my heavy drinking started later, but all of the shit that I had never dealt with in my entire life I had gone to therapy and dealt with it on a surface level but like the deeper stuff came kind of like I say like it exploded in my face so that was also happening at the same time that I had two toddlers was newly sober I just started a business um, we were living it, it just it was a rough period 2011 was rough for Andrea <laughs> yes. so, I- yeah so yeah Andrea. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Andrea. Masterclass.com slash Andrea. <laughs> Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify.
2: I would say too, this year has been like the most work of
0: my life, right? In like in of terms what? of like, like your own personal development?
2: Yeah, like my own personal development and like things being challenging. Yeah. And I feel like I'm just finally starting to like break through to the other side
1: mm-hmm.
2: of like, oh, okay, I know how to. Like the other day, I felt anger. And I was like, oh, I'm angry about this. And it was, which I know sounds really simple, but before I would have had a lot of reasons why I wasn't allowed to be angry or I would have tried to numb it or I would have Mm -hmm. never dealt with it. And it just felt super calming to be like, oh, I'm angry. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Good to know. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So you are going to celebrate, we're recording this before it comes out, obviously. So it's January 4th, your one year, January 4th, 2018. Um, Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. So let me ask because again, I talk to women who have you know stories that would just bring you to your knees, who straight up and down identify with the word addict and alcoholic. How do you feel about those words, and do you identify?
2: I, I don't necessarily identify, and I think that I'm still developing my relationship with sobriety and recovery. Um, when I first quit. I was like, I remember I posted something on Instagram about this and I was, cause I immediately, as soon as I had all these knowings, I like posted it on social media. Cause so I was like, I have to stay accountable to the public. Mm-hmm. And, but I was like, ah, oh, the word sobriety, that feels so boring. Um, <laughs> and you know, it was, I think the hardest part honestly was like having the conversation with my husband when I had the knowing of like, I need to not drink ever. And we went out to dinner and I was like, so I think that I'm realizing I don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And he was like, like to him, right. Cause he has such a normal relation, like normal, whatever that means, right. but like non-problematic relationship with alcohol. Like it was, and because I was really good at being like, everything's great. I'm great. I love champagne. This is awesome. Right. He didn't, he was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, are you an alcohol? Do you Are you going to go to AA? Like what's like to him, it was like, what's going on? Yeah. But I, I don't, necessarily like consider myself an alcoholic, but I, the way that I talk about it for myself is like, I don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol and therefore it's better not being in my life. And I think if we think about alcoholism and, and alcohol use and abuse, right on a spectrum, um, I was definitely heading to the far end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I think I just, like you said, like a high bottom, like I just got off that train. Yeah. Early before someone forced me off, yeah, and dragged me off, or like you the train just wrecked. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: you like fell off drunk and were like, "Oh, in oh, your thong underwear." Yeah, yes, and I and I, I I had a feeling, I had a hunch that you didn't necessarily identify with the term alcoholic, and I don't think that everybody does. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. I think that. It depends on so many factors. For me, um, my dad was an alcoholic and and he got sober when I was 18. So I knew about 12-step programs. I knew what a high-bottom, high-functioning alcoholic looked like. I knew all of those things. So I think it was easier for me to identify that way. And also, I questioned my own alcoholism when I, I had about four or five months of sobriety. And I ended up <laughs> i 've told the story before uh, but for those of you that haven 't heard it, I hit this really hard place and had heard on on I had heard that some people drink. Uh, vanilla extract in order to catch a buzz. And I was like, I've never done that before. And um, I didn't want to drink. Like I didn't want to get out a glass of wine. I didn't want to break my sobriety. I knew that, but I'm like, well, I could do that. You know, I could like drink some NyQuil or something like that might, I just wanted to catch a buzz. I wanted to like change the way I was feeling. So then I ended up like running to the bathroom and like chugging, you know, and these are the moments where we're like, well, I do have a little bit of a cough, you know, and and I'm standing there like drinking this vanilla extract and NyQuil. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, what the fuck am I? doing? Like, mm-hmm. so to me personally, like, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Like I needed to have that experience yeah. that day on September 26, 2011. And then the next day was my actual sobriety date and I haven't drank since then. But I think, I think again, it doesn't matter whether you identify that way or not, but it's really interesting to me that you found that to be a hard conversation with him because we make up stories like we still have these kind of, you know, these stigmas and taboo topics about certain identities, like quote unquote Mm. alcoholic and what that means.
2: Yeah. And it's, and I have really embraced recovery and sobriety as like, I just find the entire community, all these conversations like so empowering and so life affirming and so, I am all for like whatever helps you not drink, Mm -hmm. do it Mm -hmm. and do it. And like, If anybody gives you a hard time about it, right? Like that's their shit. Like I've had definitely had people in my life when I would be like, and I'm so excited about it. Like I'm so excited that I quit drinking and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Well, you know, but I definitely had people when they'd be like, what's new? And I'd be like, okay, so I quit drinking alcohol and I've realized that I have a really terrible relationship with it. And oh my God, my life is amazing now. I mean, you know, it's not all Pollyanna, but like I am loving this choice and da da da. like I'm a sharer. And then they'd immediately be like, well, I had a glass of wine last night and I'm fine.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Because nobody would react that way if you were like in a in an unhealthy relationship and you were like, I broke up with Tom because I realized we had a bad relationship and now I'm single. Like nobody would be all weird about it. <laughs> right. Like, Great. And, and,
2: and I've come to realize like. Alcohol is, I mean, then we could get into like the bigger social things around alcohol and the alcohol industry and the stories were being told and things were being sold. But like, Mm -hmm. I, for me, one of the things that's made the biggest difference, I think, to staying committed to being sober is having people that I can talk to. I mean, you and I have talked before, but having people in my life that I can have community with. And I think for me, like, AA was not a convenient choice because. Of the way that my life is situated, like going to a meeting, I I can't go to a Pilates class, like going to a meeting in terms of my life would be a challenge right now, but I have created community around my sobriety and recovery in other ways. But I know for a lot of people who don't have that, like AA is, it becomes like this room where you go to where you're just showing up in your truth and like... A lot of times when I think about AA, I'm like, because we're planning on moving next summer to another state. And I'm like, I might find me an AA meeting when we move because I'm going to need some sober friends. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's not for everyone, and, but it is for a lot of people. I tell people, you know, AA saved my life in the beginning. You know, we were in a brand new state. We had just moved to Utah and I didn't know anyone. And I was so afraid to go. And I went and those people embraced me like they were family. like, And it was just unbelievable. It was very positive for me the first couple of years of my recovery. So I'm curious because you said how much, you know, you love the recovery and community. So what does recovery actually look like for you?
2: Yeah, it's about so much more, I feel like, than not drinking, right? Like, you could quit drinking, but not deal with your shit. I always say that sobriety and recovery are two very different things. Yes, yes, yes. Like, in such a big way. And I. so I feel like, for me, recovery has been about looking at all of the underlying reasons why I drank. Mm-hmm. Learning how to feel my feelings, which uh, I know. And, like, (laughs) can we start teaching this in elementary school, (laughs) please? learning how to feel my feelings. And for me too, there's been a really strong, like embracing of my own truth in a way that like, I would have thought before that I was already doing because I'm kind of outspoken and, you know, I get on my soapbox and all of this, but like a going deeper into that truth. And then also for me, it's been about like opening up to more of my spiritual life Mm and tapping into that and getting myself out of this like frantic, honestly, anxiety driven way of living my life. Yeah.
0: yeah, Yeah. Yes. To all of that. And I'm always so curious about what people's recovery life looks like, because again, I want to say it again, like you can quit drinking and in the rooms, they call that being a dry drunk, somebody who gets sober and is not drinking, but they're still living their life the same way they were if they were drinking, it's just minus the alcohol. So recovery, I think people aren't sure what that really is and and I always um, I always tell people, like, start with this question. What do you think the problem was that you were trying to solve by drinking? It's usually not a question people can just, like, roll off with, you know, the answer. Right. So it's, like, something to journal on. Like, what do you think the problem was that, that you think drinking was trying to solve? What do you think it was for you? I've thought about that a lot. I think it was
2: feelings of worthiness.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Go right into the deep end, huh, Tiffany? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, it was like, I, it was the, like, I'm not good enough. 4X. And so for me, alcohol made in my mind, alcohol made me funny and charming and witty and able to handle hard things. And, you know, I hate networking, so I'm going to drink and all of that. And I went to a conference in the end of January that I was really nervous about going to because in the past, I'd gone to this conference before and I had made up all kinds of stories about how I wasn't good enough to be there or whatever. And even though I was speaking there, right. But I was like, Oh, I'm not pretty enough or young enough or blah, 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 well-dressed enough, all of these reasons. And I went sober and this was after I had committed to like not drinking anymore. Right. And so I was like, this is such a good test. I had so much fun, Andrea. <laughs> I was able to like, The people that I connected with, I really connected with, like certain people would be like, what's new? And I'd be like, so let's talk about sobriety because
0: (laughs) you're like the evangelist.
1: (laughs) Yes.
2: And some people would be like, like they would just sort of back away or you'd see them like kind of looking at their glass of wine. And those people are not my people, but the people I did connect with were awesome. But the other thing I realized being there was like one of the nights my friend that I was there with that we were speaking together, we went to the party and I didn't really want to go. But she was like, we should go. And as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Like, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I don't this. I've hit my wall with this thing. And I recognize like the old me would have just started drinking
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. to deal with it. And instead, I was able to be like, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not. So I think for me, I'm. I'm constantly looking at my life and like trying to learn what's really going on. Right. And so being able to do that sober has been like, there's just learning everywhere. And sometimes you're like, can I not learn today?
0: <laughs> I please just have a conversation about <laughs> countertops and highlights for my hair. <laughs>
2: yes. Which I do that too. Right. But I feel like the depths of conversations that I've been able to have Are great and people talk about that. They'd be like, Oh my god, my sober friends are so incredible. And I was always like, Really? But man, sober friends are the best.
0: Yeah. It's it's really interesting. I I totally to kind of circle back on what you said in the beginning and and the reason that you know the problem. And I and I really encourage everyone listening to really think about it. About that. Like, what do you think that what do you what problem are you trying to solve by drinking? And I think at the end of the day, that was mine too. And for me, it was definitely anxiety. I mean, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder in 2003. I was 20 something at the time. And I definitely drank to keep, you know, to take the edge off. And there's a saying in the rooms that is, it works until it doesn't. And Mm -hmm. it did. It worked for a little while. And then it got to the point where it didn't. And I drank for that and I drank because of feelings of unworthiness and I drank because I also same thing. I didn't know how to feel my feelings and when they would bubble up, I didn't know what to do with them. So I would stuff them down and I had a lot of grief too. I had a lot of grief over the stuff that happened to me in the past, which my audience knows all about. And that surprised me that it came back up in 2011. Like, mm-hmm. I thought I had buried you. <laughs> what right. do you mean? You're still alive. And for me, it was rage. I didn't just have anger. I had rage about some things that had happened to me that I had not dealt with. And that all came up when I got mm-hmm. sober. And and I also want to say one more thing to what you were saying. I've had both experiences of being in social events sober and being And this, like, even recently, not even just in new sobriety, but, like, being extremely uncomfortable because I'm the only one not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where you're like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm, that's great. Like, everyone's, like, starting to get loud and rowdy. And, like, that would be me. Like, I was, you know, you guys, I have a lot of energy. Like, I have ten times as much when I'm drinking. So it's... I have felt that discomfort a lot. And I've also been totally fine in social events. I think it's kind of 50 50, to be honest with you. So I don't want anyone out there to think like, it's totally great. Like it's over in social events. No. Is yes. <laughs> and I would like to add to
2: to that, like, I still feel anxiety. Yeah. And I still feel unworthy. And I still have doubts. And yeah, that whole like, the one half of the table is like in another bottle and they're all, it, it appears they're all bonding. Like I definitely will be like, I miss that feeling. Right. Like, and I also realized recently someone came over for dinner and I poured them a glass of wine and I was like, Oh, I don't want to pour wine. Like as soon as I touched the bottle, I was like, Whoa, I Isn't don't need to the touch feeling of it in your
0: hand. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because like my mouth started watering. Like I know, like I, and I was like, this is not, it's like, this just doesn't need to be in the conversation. And I think that we, especially as women, especially as high achieving women who are driven and we want to prove something, it's easy for us to like white knuckle our way through and be like, oh no, I can pour the wine even though I don't drink because I'm totally fine with it. And for me, it's been really useful to then be like, Oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like when we now have people over for dinner, I tell them like, if you want to drink, bring a bottle of wine. Yeah. Because it's not my job to provide that. It's not. No, that's it's not. We like, we don't have to be the hostess to the world mm-hmm. and you don't have to compromise what you need in order to, you know, make someone else drunk at your table. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not, that's not my job anymore. But I also don't, I don't find myself in these days. And part of it is just the way my life is structured. Like I don't go to bars. Right. You know, and I, I rarely find myself around large groups of people that are drinking a lot anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And, and when I first got sober, Because I went to a lot of bars, like, but that was more like in my 20s and and very early 30s. And, you know, a little bit of a party girl. But to be honest with you, then I was so involved in codependence and love addiction personally. Like that wasn't when I was I was binge drinking. Yes, but I could still take it or leave it. My Mm -hmm. triggers were being at home, like you said, that five o'clock hour when I was at my worst and drinking more heavily every day was when I was at home with two little Mm -hmm. kids and I was dealing with the, the loss of the identity of my childless self. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, in this brand new marriage and, you know, figuring all of that out. It was my, you know, my second marriage, dealing with the failure of my first marriage, being in a place where that was also during the time when the economy went to shit and it was yeah. so stressful for everyone. Like my husband's job, they were doing rounds of layoffs, like every, it felt like every other month. So we never knew if he was going to, you know, come home and not have his, his job anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was, we were living in a very expensive city at the time. So it was like all this stress and all this stuff that I wasn't dealing with. And I was at home alone with, you know, two kids that were too little to know if I was drinking too much and I was bored and I didn't have any friends like they were in my immediate neighborhood or anything like that. And, and that was a trigger for me. So, so bars now, like I go to bars very rarely, but if even I'm in a restaurant where, there's a a bar, it's not really that much of a trigger for me. Like I'd rather not Mm -hmm. sit in a bar and eat, you know, when when they're walking by constantly with booze, I've I've requested to not sit there. But for me, it's again, it's like that being by myself five Mm -hmm. o'clock at night, kids that are, you know, losing their minds. And Mm -hmm. I think to myself, like, wow, a glass of wine would be amazing right now. Those thoughts are very few and far between for me, and I know immediately what I need to do, that I need to help What do you – yeah. So, like, when you have those thoughts – because I'm always trying to figure
2: out, like – what can I do to like break that energy, mm-hmm. right? What do you do? I for,
0: Well, so I'm trying to think the last time it happened, definitely last year when my dad died, there was a couple of moments where it happened. And then I think there's been one other time in between since now, because it's been a year, something happened that was really stressful. And I can't even remember at this point what it was. But I, I think it's it's usually like in moments of quiet when I'm either like at a stoplight or where I where my mind is like racing of... Overwhelm and anxiety. And then I am somewhere where I don't have to do anything, like, you know, where I'm not, we don't have my hands on, you know, in somebody's cookie jar. And yeah. that thought will come in. And I now know it is so fast, Tiffany. Like, I mean, I have worked so much on my ego and my inner critic voice. Like, I recognize that so quickly. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't fly under the radar anymore for me, like where it used to a lot. Mm-hmm. Now I. Just recognize it. Like I don't beat myself up over it. I don't panic because mm-hmm. I used to. And I reach out usually to one of my dear friends who's got over a decade of sobriety, Courtney Webster. She was on the, the last recovery series. And by the way, we'll put I'm going to put a link to the the other recovery series in the show notes. I reach out to her and just like send her a message and be like, so this happened today. And it's just mm-hmm. that accountability. It's not a panic like, oh, my God, I'm going to drink. I actually did end up right after my dad died last year. So my dad died on October 16th. And then November was it the 7th was the election
1: hmm. And the election
0: Ugh. did not turn out the way I wanted it to. So yeah. I know it might have for some people listening, but it was kind of the one 2 punch. And yeah. I was down for the count. I went to a meeting because there was a moment. And I, I told the story on the very last episode of my recovery series last year when I was like, I was either unloading or loading the dishwasher. And I had that like crumbling moment and was on the ground on the kitchen floor crying. Mm-hmm. And I saw my phone on the counter and I was like, if I don't go over there and text someone, I think I, I actually texted Laura McCowan and, and Courtney. And just to say like, this is happening to me and mm-hmm. I'm on the bathroom floor and I'm thinking about drinking and I know I'm not going to drink, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm thinking about drinking. Yeah, And, and it's kind of the SOS out and the great mm-hmm. thing about people in recovery is that at least the people that are in my circle, they're not like, Oh my God, you know, they're like, I hear you, babe. I've been there. Mm -hmm. That sucks. What can I do? That's
1: it. Yeah. it
0: just like diffuses everything. And it's just that knowing it's human connection is what it is. It's like knowing Mm -hmm. that you're not alone because the worst thing for someone, whether you are an alcoholic or a problem drinker or early sobriety or whatever, the worst place for you to be in is that place of desperation and feeling alone isolation, Mm -hmm. that's when the the booze is calling and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so much better over here. It's so warm and just forget about everything and just one drink. Nobody even has to know about it. You're home by yourself like that bullshit. Yeah. That will take you down so fast. Hello, you
3: sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning
2: Yeah. And I think this is such a good illustration of the need for support and like the need for like, like if you had sent that text to somebody not in recovery, it would have been a fucking thing. Right. And it then would that have been makes like, you
0: feel even more alone. Yeah. Because and they don't exactly. mean to not show up for us. They just don't know how.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Because to them, drinking is either totally fine. Or like, Oh my God, she's going to go crawl into a ditch. Now. Right. Like I would not like, send that text to my husband. No. Tell yeah. Him
0: after I'm out of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I totally, I totally get it. And for me, I have a couple of friends who one was like a former client and we kind of lost touch, but she, I recorded a podcast episode on my podcast about my decision to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And she listened to it and reached out to me and was like, oh my God, I quit drinking like a month later for the exact same reasons. Like we had these very overlapping stories and she has become such a place of strength for me and like our relationship because we, we had very similar habits. And so everything, when I can be like, oh my God, this happened. And here's what I thought. She's like, me too. I get it. And it's, it's so useful. And I have another friend who I've made, just since, since I quit, who's another person that I can go to him. And she's, she just celebrated a thousand days sober. So that's like what, three something years. Mm -hmm. So I can go to her and be like, this thing happened. And she's like, Oh, and AA, that's step number four. And this is what we would say. And like, it's really, really nice to get that kind of perspective Mm -hmm. when everything, especially when you're not used to feeling your feelings, when everything feels really, it's sort of like, when like you think about someone like getting their sense of sight back and all of a sudden they're like, Oh my God, what is this world? Right. And for me, I've been drinking, I had been drinking for 20 more than 20 years when I quit. So like, it's really looking at like my entire life through new eyes. And there's some shit that you're like, I don't know how to handle this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of it, yes. I, well, and then, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, which we probably don't have time for, but, you know, like other addictions that we tend to fall into. Like for me, it's, I love to plan. You know, I'd rather plan, mm-hmm. even if it's for a disaster that will probably not happen, than feel my feelings of angst and, you know, intrepidation and uncertainty. Like uncertainty, forget it. Uncertainty can fuck right off. (laughs) Right. Which like, hi, welcome
2: to the biggest test in the world for you right now, because everything feels so uncertain,
0: right? Yes. Oh, struggle with control, party of one over here. Yeah. And, and I like that you, you said just briefly that part of your recovery is, is learning how to practice spirituality and whatever that looks like for you. I came from an upbringing where spirituality looked a certain way. And there was no deviation from that. And not that I was ever, well, there was one time I was made to feel wrong for having different beliefs, but it just like I'm 42 now and I'm just now starting to listen to what my soul wants. And it's probably in some people's eyes like witchcraft and voodoo. And I'm like, okay with that. You know, (laughs) like I think crystals are awesome and there's a full moon. And I want to do a full moon fire ceremony and I'm burning like sage in my office and my kids are like, what's that smell? And I'm like, I'm burning the negative energy.
2: Oh, no, I'm right there with you on the woo train and it's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't do that if I was continuing to drink. And and I God, I think about like, do you ever do that? Do you ever think about your life? Like if you had continued to drink, you know, almost a year later? Oh, all the time. I look at what I'm doing and I'm
2: like, I and here's the deal with my life, right? That I always talk about the day to day pieces of my life don't really look any different right like i saw my business i saw my kids i saw my marriage i'm still doing my shit but the way that i feel like just the fact that i'm not regularly consuming a depressant right and what right. that does for you i just feel so much more settled and and willing to, I had someone interviewed me about this once and they were like, Do you feel like you've like lost a significant amount of weight or made all these changes in your like exercise? And I was like, No, because again, my life doesn't really support that, but I wash my face every night. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? <laughs> Instead of, um, I even floss now.
2: I know. I know. And like, I'm working on my book. And I know that, you know, that was part of the knowing was before I quit drinking, I had done a lot of work around my creativity and tapping into my intuition and all of those things, right, that we all do. And I knew the voice kept saying, like, you're doing all this, but you really need to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew that that was the piece that was really in my way. And I think that like what you talked about earlier with that kind of mind fuckery of it all, like I didn't realize how freeing it would be. Like, I thought that alcohol helped me connect and bond with people. And I didn't realize how freeing it would be to be out at a restaurant and just be able to have a conversation. Yeah. And actually be present for it. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not like tracking the waitress with my eyes or seeing how much my friend has drank. Like, has she had enough? Oh, maybe I should just recommend that we get another. I'll just get another round and no big deal. And da And then that will become and like, can I can I have one more glass and then drive home? How much have I had? Like, what? Oh, how yes. am I feeling? I like, should I, I worry more that like, the thing I didn't realize. Like again, I always thought that not drinking was a punishment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I realize now that it is. Freedom and yeah. freedom carries with it sometimes obligation and responsibility, right? But it's not a bird. It's like this whole. I mean, we could get into this whole leadership conversation too, of what it means to really show up. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's what it's allowed me to do. And like, yeah, sometimes I'm reluctant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, and and all of that. And sometimes you feel feelings, and they're inconvenient. I to think say the least. they're usually inconvenient. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have time for this; not on my to-do list. But
2: don't you feel like I almost am like this is humanity? Like yeah. this is just now I can just accept things as like, oh, human. I'm having a
0: human moment. Okay, and and it mm-hmm. doesn't become a reflection of my worth. Yeah, I have a humanity moment for you. I mean, I have so many, but this is, yeah. I think that this is an important story. I'm not sure if I've told this on any podcast episode before. Maybe I have. So I got sober and shortly after that was my 20 year high school reunion.
2: Oh my
3: God. And
0: I know. I would have totally <laughs> waited till after that to get sober. I thought about the record. that when you talked about that networking event. So my <laughs> 10 year high school reunion was so fun. And I mean, I remember like we did not move very far away from the bar like and So 20 years and I go there and... it was, it was, God, it was, it was hard. It was really, I I won't lie. It was, it was hard. And I, one of my biggest fears now that I'm in this job and I am a quote unquote public figure and, and people, you know, listen to this podcast. And at that time, I don't think I had the podcast yet, but I had been blogging for a long time. And I have always had this fear that people are going to meet me in person and be disappointed in who they meet Mm -hmm. because either I'm having a bad day or I'm not who they made up in their mind. I would be because I've done that before. like, I don't put people on pedestals anymore. I stopped doing that. But I used to put people on pedestals and then I would meet them and I'd be like, oh, you're not the person I made up in your mind. You would be, you're like a normal human, you know? And, and so anyway, so I've always had this fear. So I go to the high school reunion and, and it was, it was okay. And it was extremely awkward on my end. And then seven months later, I get an email from this woman who had replied to a blog post that I had sent out to my email list and she said she told me who she was and i i knew who she was we went to high school together and i knew that she and i had had an email conversation before the reunion and i had asked her if she was coming and she didn't reply to my email and so i had kind of forgotten about the conversation she and i were not friends in high school but we knew e- who each other were because we had you know gone to the same school for a while so mm. she told me in this email that she was disappointed when she met me at the reunion and that all she wanted was a moment of my time, but I was cold and shallow to her and I acted like all I wanted to do was go and hang out with my friends. And I was like, oh my devastated, <laughs> devastated right. because it's, it's coming true. You know, <laughs> here she's telling right. me you disappointed me in person and I was devastated, totally crying. Mm-hmm. Like it's all true. I am. I'm, I'm a worthless human being. I'm terrible. And right. The truth of it is, and it took me a while to realize this, like she never asked me, you know, for a moment of my time. She didn't. And I very well probably was so uncomfortable. I I remember saying hello to her. And I I remember that her dress was beautiful. And I told her so, and that she looked great. I remember that part of the conversation. And I probably saw my friends over her shoulder, these girls that I had grown up with since we were little girls and Girl Scouts together that I hadn't seen in 10 years. Yes, I probably did want to go over and talk to them. right? And it's just, again, that's like a human moment. That's humanity and I I hurt her unknowingly and she called me on it and it's just like one of those really fucking awkward things that happens at high school reunions yeah. <laughs> and life. Yeah. But I, I tell that story because, That took everything in me. Like if I would have gotten that email when I was still drinking, I would have drank and I would have like called my friend and been like, this woman is such a bitch. How dare her? And cried and cried and cried and never gotten over it. But it was really a matter of looking at, you know, did I, did I do anything to that? I need to, is there anything I need to clean up? A, B, really looking at that fear that I have and C, knowing that I did the best I could at that time, and maybe it wasn't good enough for her, but that's not my responsibility. Like I cleaned up anything that I thought I needed to clean up, and so th- things like that in sobriety, I'm just like, fuck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's humanity. I know, right? That's humanity. Yeah,
2: where you're like, oh, okay, now I need to deal with this. And for me, I was so non-confrontational in my life, and and it's something that I'm working on now. Of like. Oh, I can be more confrontational and, and it doesn't have to be like an aggressive thing, but it could just be more of that idea of like really standing in your truth. But to be able to like, you know, when you're dealing with feelings of worthiness, anytime someone shines a light, especially on something you're already insecure about, mm-hmm. it's so easy and natural because that's your habit to be like, I'm such an asshole. Yeah. I'm terrible. Obviously, I'm a terrible human being. She is. And you know, not to say that like we all have our asshole moments, but it was really what you described as like kind of just a misunderstanding and a miscommunication. It was a total
0: miscommunication. hmm I didn't know that she wanted to talk to me. She had I guess she thought I was telepathic or something. I don't know. I did not know. But it was I mean, it was think- so sucky. I- yeah. And there's still How residual you- shit around it. I can tell by telling the story, I'm like, oh, still it's it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean,
2: I feel like we could all, we could do a whole episode about like <laughs> those stories. emails
0: that yeah. really like punch us in the gut. Yes. And she agonized over it for seven months too. That's like the part two where I felt so bad. And like, she's been thinking about it all that time. And she unfriended me on Facebook and I was like, I'm the worst. But anyway, hey. I thank you so much for this. And I know we could probably go for another hour and I'm just so glad to get your story and So many different stories on this, on this series this time and everybody hit the show notes. There's links to Tiffany's stuff. She's over at tiffanyhahn.com. She has her own podcast. Raise your hand. Say yes. Right. Isn't that what it's called? Okay. Yeah. And you're going to be on it soon. I am going to be on it and subscribe and go over there and consume all of Tiffany's stuff because she's so great. I'm such a big fan of yours and grateful for this conversation. And thank you everyone for being here. On the regular podcast and on this podcast, I'm so grateful for the time that you spend with me. Before we close, Tiffany, anything you need to say? Two things. One, the book, you guys, that really helped me
2: break some of my attachment to the stories around alcohol was This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. I'm sure it's come up here before it was really really powerful I think and it actually it... has we'll link to that in the show notes yeah but two I want to say thank you to you Andrea and to your listeners for for you being able to talk about this stuff publicly because honestly this series your first round of the series season one of the recovery series was what turned the tide for me in my drinking and so I just want to say thank you to you for being willing to talk about this out loud and interview people and start telling these stories because it's not always us showing up in like the best light quote unquote. Right. But I think that it's so important. And so It has made such a difference in my life, but it also then has encouraged me to tell my story in different ways, which there is that ripple effect. And now people are coming to me and saying they quit drinking because they heard me say a thing. And, and it is so powerful. So thank you, Andrea. And thank you, everyone who's listening for like showing up and really this is important stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for that. And yeah, anyone listening, if you know someone who's even remotely talked at some point about getting sober or, or. Or anything like that or or have someone in their life that they care about who is trying to get sober or is sober, please share this series with them. And I'd be so appreciative. And thank you again for showing up every week. Everyone, please go out and buy my book if you haven't already. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, Ass Kickers, you know it would help me out so much? If you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for... Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says Reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click Write a Review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google, Stitcher.com your kick-ass life. And voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link. Scroll down and click write a review. That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.